You're listening to KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m., and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Today is reopening day, Tuesday, June 15th, 2021. Good evening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Tonight, the California Report reviews Governor Newsom's policies and actions as the state reopens, and then talks with San Francisco chefs and restaurant owners about their plans to reopen. After a look at local headlines and weather, Paul Emery speaks with retired senior economist Gary Zimmerman in this week's Economic Report. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. It's a brand new day here in California as the state officially reopens and most COVID-19 restrictions are lifted for businesses. Capacity limits and social distancing rules are no longer in place, although businesses can choose to follow their own stricter guidelines. And what about those really large gatherings like concerts and sporting events? For events greater than 5,000 people indoors, Attendees will be required to show either proof of vaccination or a negative coronavirus test result. For events greater than 10,000 people outdoors, those same requirements are strongly recommended. People who are fully vaccinated will not have to wear masks indoors, although there are some exceptions, like on public transportation and in healthcare facilities. Los Angeles County Public Health Director Dr. Barbara Ferrer says the ability to reopen took a lot of hard work across the state. It's a result of the many hours invested by community leaders in educating people about preventing transmission and working to maximize vaccine access. And while there is optimism about the pandemic from state health officials, many know there's still a lot of work to be done. Dr. Wilma Wooten is San Diego County's public health officer. The pandemic is not over. June 15th is not the magic date or bullet for uh, declaring that the pandemic is over. It is not. We are still seeing cases. There have been nearly 3.8 million confirmed COVID-19 cases in the state, and nearly 63,000 people have died because of the virus. With more on the reopening, KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer takes a look at some of what comes next for the state. Governor Newsom said two months ago that today, June 15th, would mark the end of the colored tier system that limited what we could do, who we could do it with, and how many of us could do it together. It all depended on California's COVID-19 rate being under control, which it is. To help show that you're vaccinated, Newsom said California will soon roll out an electronic version of your vaccination card. It's not a passport. It's not a requirement. It's just the ability now to have an electronic version of that paper version. And so you'll hear more about that in the next couple of days. The reopening and lifting of capacity limits on most businesses and activities is welcome news for sure. But some are unhappy about confusing messages over things like who has to wear a mask inside. Newsom said Monday that if he has to, he'll issue an executive order to bring Cal OSHA's mask guidelines into line with the CDC's more liberal guidance. Last month, Newsom announced more than $100 million in cash incentives to encourage people to get their shot. Today, he's drawing names of 10 vaccinated Californians who will each receive $1.5 million. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. 
Support for the California Report comes from California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care. On the web at chcf.org voices. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. The pandemic has, of course, deeply affected businesses across the state, as well as the shifting guidelines on what is and isn't allowed. That was particularly the case with restaurants and bars, as at times owners didn't know whether they can serve people in person from one day to the next. Now, as California reopens, most restaurant owners are jumping at the opportunity to open without capacity limits. But that's not the case for Kim Alter, chef and owner of San Francisco's Nightbird Restaurant, who says she's waiting a week before fully reopening. We're going to kind of slowly open the doors and possibly start off not wearing masks and see how it, we all feel comfortable level. And if it if it goes to a place where we feel like we need to put masks on because tourists are going to be coming in and, you know, people from outside of our kind of San Francisco bubble, it's going to happen, will change. And every day we'll talk with people. And if concerns come up, we'll change our policies. Meanwhile, across the bay at the Hotsi Totsi Club in Albany, bar co-owner Jessica Maria is nervous but still ready to reopen. You know, there's been so much buildup to getting here and now that we're here, it's like, okay, let's just do this. And a lot of it is just like, let's see what happens. If we have to pivot on Wednesday, the 16th and change everything, well, we're used to that now. So that's what we'll do. Here's Jessica's co-owner, Michael Valadares. It's a tricky situation. All of our staff has been vaccinated. We got that all done about two months ago, which was great. And we are going to ask people to maintain their masks indoors while they're walking around, going to the bathroom, going to order stuff like that. But Really, we had come to terms, you know, we've just started the yellow tier. In theory, we could open 25%. Bar culture doesn't work that way. It just doesn't make any sense. So we're either all in or all out. We just want to be mindful of other people's concerns. Unfortunately, I think there's going to be too much of a backlash if we demand to see proof of vaccination. But like I said, I have I have great faith in our regulars and the kind of people that are attracted to the Hatsi Tatsi Club are usually very mindful. Meanwhile, in Southern California, Bay U kitchen chef and owner Uwen Lei opened her restaurant in Los Angeles during the pandemic and says the only reason she was able to succeed was because it was a takeout only model that helped when it came to paying her employees better, which is a huge part of her ethos. Moving forward, I think having um, something that is made from scratch and also so labor intensive and trying to be affordable, I'm not sure that I could also have it be sort of a dine-in experience with kind of like washing of the dishes, more of those dishes that come with it, as well as, you know, the more service folks who are working in front of a house, that those costs would have probably pushed our prices further up or not allowed me to probably split the tips as deep and be able to kind of do this model. So I think for what I'm doing, and especially during the pandemic and coming out of it, that it was beneficial. 
One concern for many restaurants and bars in the state is whether they can hire enough staff to deal with the reopening as they were forced to lay off or furlough employees during the pandemic. In fact, several business owners tell the California Report many of their former employees are no longer in the hospitality industry or have moved somewhere where it's more affordable to live. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, June 15th. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good reopening day. A study published June 8th by the California Voter Foundation found many election officials endured death threats and other threats of violence during the 2020 presidential contest. As many as 15% have quit because of it. The California News Service has the details. California has lost about 15% of its election officials since the 2020 presidential contest, at least in part due to unprecedented levels of harassment and threats against them, according to a new report. The study from the California Voter Foundation found many election officials endured death threats, other threats of violence, and abusive comments. UC Berkeley researcher and study author Grace Gordon says a lot of the vitriol is linked to false allegations of election fraud. Social media companies need to work with election officials to identify myths and disinformation and then take this false information off of their platforms immediately. 2020 was the first time an American president refused to accept defeat and has repeatedly targeted election officials with unfounded allegations of fraud. Matthew Masterson with the Stanford Internet Observatory agrees the last election produced unheard of levels of hatred and harassment. The scope, scale, and vile nature of the threats of the comments in this election is unlike anything we've seen. About 75 percent of election officials are women, and the report found many of the insults have been misogynistic in nature. California Voter Foundation President Kim Alexander urges states to step in. We are at risk of losing an entire generation of institutional knowledge if we don't act quickly to show the support and give the resources that election officials need to feel protected and do their jobs well. The report warns a mass exodus of election officials will harm the nation's ability to hold free and fair elections and undermine democracy. It advises states to fully fund local election boards, foster better communication between election officials and local journalists, and fund voter education programs. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. At approximately 10.46 this morning, a single-engine airplane crashed 1.16 miles south of the airport near Lahontan in Placer County. Two occupants were aboard the aircraft at the time of the incident. One pilot was fatally injured and died at the scene. The other pilot occupant was transported approximately 10 minutes after the incident by EMS helicopter to renowned regional medical center in Reno, Nevada, and was reported to be in stable condition. The aircraft struck an open field in a nose-down attitude. No fire resulted, no measurable fuel was spilled. The aircraft was equipped with a ballistic parachute and it had been deployed. No homes were threatened. The cause of the incident is undetermined at this time. That from a statement released by the Truckee Tahoe Airport District. Although the tier system is officially gone in California, the coronavirus sadly is not. Nevada County reported 12 new COVID-19 cases today for a total of 75 active cases. Four are listed as hospitalized. For regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 58. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 94. 
The National Weather Service has issued an excessive heat warning for the region beginning tomorrow at 2 p.m. through 9 p.m. on Saturday. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 40. Wednesday will be mostly sunny with a high near 85. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight clear with a low around 63. Wednesday will be sunny and hot with a high near 101 degrees. The Sacramento region will also fall under the National Weather Service's excessive heat warning, again beginning tomorrow at 2 p.m. through 9 p.m. on Saturday. Paul Emery recently spoke with retired Federal Reserve economist Gary Zimmerman about last week's jobs market report. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, wealth management advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Gary, uh, today let's talk about the economy. Uh, Last week there was a new jobs market report. Uh, how do you read it? Well, thanks, Paul. Um, well, the, the May increase in jobs was good, especially after the disappointing um, April increase in jobs. But, you know, it wasn't great. Um, so the Bureau of Labor Statistics report published the first week in May, excuse the first week in June, showed that the national economy added about 559,000 jobs. That's a little lower than the forecast consensus, but it's, you know, strong by historic standards, about double the increase in jobs that were for the revised number for April. Um, you know, and moreover, the economy has added, you know, if we look at a little longer trend, you know, for the last four months, it's averaged about 500,000 jobs. Um, you know, and that's, that's pretty good by historic standards. So, um, you know, there's some other good news in those data as well. There were signs that um, wages were increasing in a number of areas. Um, there's another report on new hires and job losses and layoffs. And that one was showing that layoffs were down. Uh, new hires were up. Um, there's a lot of there's, you know, about nine million job openings. Um, and, you know, even perhaps even more important is that there were um, large numbers of workers, particularly in areas that are growing faster. As, as the economy starts rebounding, um, that are leaving their jobs, they're confident enough to leave their jobs to, to you know, to take other positions. So, um, you know, that's that's good news. Um, you know, still, you know, we we're still down about 7.6 million jobs from the COVID peak, and even if we add, you know, 500,000 jobs a, a month like we did in in May, it'll take about 15 months to reach full employment. That would be, you know, not until the, the summer of 2022. So, yeah, I mean, this is uh, the labor markets don't just bounce back instantaneously. It takes time to change jobs, um, change professions. Um, people are looking, you know, some people are working for better wages in different industries if they're worried about, you know, COVID coming back. Um, so there's lot, lots of things you know, worried about COVID and childcare. And you know, there are just lots of things going on that, you know, make that a slower recovery. It's not, the economy is not like a, you know, it doesn't just respond instantaneously. A lot of businesses are probably testing their viability too. I mean, after virtually being shut down for over a year. Uh, you know, oh, no, that's absolutely, yeah. It's not just the workers, it's the businesses as well. Yeah. Well, the businesses employ the workers, so. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's both. And, and yeah. So the economy added a fair number of jobs in May. And 
And uh, but what's happened to the unemployment rate? How close are we to full employment? Well, the unemployment rate uh, fell by three tenths of a percent, which is a pretty important, you know, decline. Uh, went from six point one percent unemployment rate to five point eight percent. So that's that's good news that it's declining. You know, how close are we to full employment? You know, the, there are a couple of figures that we might look at suggesting that full employment is probably in the range of four to four and a half percent. Congressional budget office, budget office estimates about the natural rate of unemployment of about four and a half percent just with people leaving jobs and leaving the labor force. And, you know, that's that's the, you know, that would be full employment. Federal Reserve policymakers, their March projection for long-term full employment in the economy was about 4%. So, you know, at 5.8%, we still have a ways to go to get down to that 4 to 4.5% full employment range. Um, and, and, you know, in addition, if we look at another in unemployment rate called the underemployment rate, or U6, now that, that one still remains at 10.2% in May. Uh, so, you know, it would probably be down closer to 7, or at least in the 7 to 8% range when the economy is at full employment. So we still have a... A, a ways to go in, in the labor market. Gary, since you brought up the Fed, uh, your former employer, uh, they released a report last week called the Beige Book. What is it telling us about the condition of the economy? Well, the Beige Book is an anecdotal survey the Federal Reserve Banks conduct a few weeks before each of the eight monetary policy meetings every year. Um, and the news coming from the June 2nd beige book is is good. Um, overall, the national economy expanded at a moderate pace, I think is how they put it, from April to late May um, at somewhat at a what somewhat faster rate uh, than in the prior survey period. So that's definitely a plus. They noted that several Federal Reserve districts cited positive effects of vaccinations and relaxed social distancing distancing measures. Um, they also noted that you know there were some you know, on the, on the downside, some impacts of supply chain disruptions. Um, overall, they also noted that, you know, consumer spending increased, especially in the leisure and travel and restaurant spending areas. And those, those are areas where we're seeing big increases in jobs as well. Factory output increased uh, despite shortages in materials and labor. Um, and demand for professional and business services increased moderately in uh, we said straw, saw strong demand and demand for transportation services. So, you know, overall good news there as well. And perhaps even the best news that I took out of this was that overall expectations for the economy changed little um, and that the contacts were optimistic that economic growth will remain solid. So I would say the Beige Book has, you know, basically very good news on the economy going forward. Gary, the Fed policymakers will be meeting on June 15th and 16th. What else besides the job market might they be discussing? Well, of course, they'll be talking about you know, how close the economy is to full employment because full employment is one of the Fed's two uh, monetary policy goals Congress has given them. Um, so they'll be very interested in you know conditions in the labor market that we've just discussed. Um, the uh, you know, whether it's improving how close it is to full employment, you know, the uh, other Fed goal is, you know, 2% inflation on average, um, you know, so they'll be looking very carefully at recent movements and in the inflation numbers and data, um, clearly analyzing and discussing that. Um, the critical question there, I think, for policymakers, and they've been talking about this, is whether the recent surge in inflation is temporary 
um, related to all of the disruptions in the economy from COVID, um, or it's, you know, is it just the beginning of an inflationary trend? Um, you know, so, you know, <laughs> that that's a imp very important distinction for the Fed in terms of, you know, when they make uh, monetary policies and, you know, what those are, those are things that they will be watching very closely as we go forward. Um, they'll also be looking at projections for, for GDP growth for the rest of the year and, you know, going forward. Um, and those should be fairly strong. One more question, Gary. Have Fed policymakers been commenting on how they see the economy progressing? And what might it mean for monetary policy and interest rates? Yes, Paul. In past weeks, you know, they have been, you know, a number of policymakers have commented and, you know, they're talking about what they consider to be appropriate monetary policy is, you know, the economy recovers and, you know, different scenarios for what's going on. Um, you know, so there have been some, some comments about, you know, the timing of possible monetary policy changes, you know, including reducing bond purchases or when, what's the timing when the Fed might finally um, start raising interest rates from the, from the very low levels they're at now. Um, and, and it is unusual for sometimes uh, the Fed policymakers to, you know, sort of signal what they're thinking about, uh, be, you know, noticeably before they may start making the, the monetary policy decisions. You know, they are looking at a you know, fairly strong outlook. Um, you know, we, we did have a, a National Association of Business Economics forecast came out in, in May that was looking at, you know, 6.7% GDP growth in 2021. Um, that's in the same ballpark that the the Fed had in their March, you know, projections. Um, the the policymakers will have you know new projections um, coming out after this meeting in June. So you know, I, I think that you know we're likely to see them, uh, given you know how the economy has been rebounding, uh, that we we may very well see a, a strong um, growth rate GDP projections. Um, I don't expect them to make any major policy decisions just yet. Um, I think they're still kind of getting a, a handle on where things are going. Um, but, you know, this is certainly the time for them to be thinking about, you know, what they do in the future and what's the appropriate policy, depending on how the economy progresses, how the labor markets improve and you know, how, how inflation numbers behave. Gary, thanks so much for speaking with KVMR. And I look forward to our next chat. You're welcome, Paul. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. That's our newscast for tonight, June 15th, 2021. You can listen to the extended version of Paul's conversation with Gary Zimmerman or any other segment of this newscast on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. We get support from Sweetland Garden Mercantile, offering seasonal veggie starts, soil amendments, pruning supplies, and tools. Delivery available, open daily 9 to 6 in downtown North San Juan. 292 9000. Sweetlandgm.com. Dig it. And 
first U.S. community credit union, serving the gold country for over 80 years, providing member owners with loans, savings programs, personal service, and financial solutions for individuals and businesses. In the Fowler Center, Grass Valley, firstus.org. Stay tuned. Educationally Speaking is next, followed by Democracy Now! at 7. Thanks very much for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza, wishing you a good evening.